For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a group of online sleuths work to identify a mysterious dead hiker. Will they be shocked by who they're looking for? We'll talk about They Called Him Mostly Harmless from Max. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin. Yeah. You are wearing your family business gear. I'm so impressed. My, what do you, you don't need, no. Yes. No. Yes. What's on it? What's on it? Okay, this says... Can you see here? It's it's Flynn's Arcade. Flynn's Arcade. And it's actually something I got at Disney World because the guy from Tron, his name was Kevin Flynn, and he ran an arcade before he got sucked (laughs) into the digital world of Tron. And uh, so they actually had some Tron Tron gear. A Tron store. And so I got stuff that said Flynn's on it. So it's Flynn's Arcade. Yeah, it's your family store. it's not really a family store. Oh. We have a couple of stores here at Crime Writers On we should talk about. We will but, talk about that in the, yeah. in the business section, which may or may not happen in this show, because, you know, you never know when it's going to happen. It could just or happen if. any minute. <laughs> so suspenseful. So suspenseful. Yeah, so Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program. Yes. What's coming up on Thursday's podcast? So on Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about a podcast from RTE Documentary on One. They're out of Ireland. It's called Runaway Joe. Runaway. Joe? Oh. There's no comma in that, right? Toby's expressing his feelings. Oh, all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the preview of Toby's feelings. It's really, really great. So I had a mishap today I just want to quickly tell you about. All right. Have you guys wondered, you may not have because you don't care about these things as much as I do. Have you wondered how it is that Taylor Swift always has these perfect bright red lips and then she can kiss people and drink drinks and like they never change? Yeah. Have you never ever wondered that? Yeah, all the time. All right. Yeah, it's in the top of my list, Rebecca. Well, yeah. I, I, I researched uh-huh. it, and she wears this lipstick ostensibly. People say that it has to be it called Pat McGrath Labs. Uh-huh. So I ordered some in a color that I like, not the bright red, because I can't do that. It makes me look like a ghoul. And I put it on, and that shit works so well that it does not come off. Oh. So I literally spent 45 minutes before this show vigorously wiping my mouth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> with like Yes. And if, if I told you that I noticed that, would you have been surprised? No, I would not have been surprised. Okay. But why did you take it off, Rebecca? Well, now it's mostly off now and I put some gloss over it, but like it was like on there and I was yeah. like, damn, Taylor, you know what's your, you know what's up. Yeah. And they have this thing called crazy glue and it's crazy. <laughs> like it really sticks. <laughs> So that's not. Yeah. But did you not like the color? Or no, you I love the curious? color. I just didn't want to be wearing a like very, very matte, very, very like solid 
lipstick when I'm just hanging around the house. Like, it's just not like, you know what I mean? I hear you, girl. I don't know, Rebecca. I mean, I like to kind of dress like like when I clean my house, sometimes I like to wear my little tiara because yeah. it makes me feel better about vacuuming. Well, good on you. I mean, so I like maybe to I should Kevin get some of this that. lipstick and do the same. Do yeah. little birds come and <laughs> land on you and, and sing around you while you're you vacuuming like a princess? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Actually, you my look cats. like St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm going for the Snow White vibe. Yeah. Well, I was curious. I had a Sephora gift card. I was curious. I was like, I'm going to try that. Anyway, guys, I, this is not a sponsorship. But that shit works. You want lipstick that you can kiss people? It doesn't go anywhere? Oh. Get that kind. All right. Uh, so, Kevin, I am uh, really, really, really excited to talk about what we're talking about in this edition of Crime Writers On. Okay. And, um, so, can we get to it? I'm, I'm asking You're your permission. You're the only thing stopping us. Really? Yes. I thought you were stopping us. No, I'm sitting here looking at you going, I wonder when she's going to drop that first clip. But you've been wanting to talk about your sweatshirt and stuff and lipstick. No, I haven't talked about either of those things. Okay, okay. I'll go ahead and drop that first clip so we can get to it. Leading off. When we discovered the decedent, we observed that he did appear to be very thin. Thin to the point that it's unnatural. But we found that he did have food. And we found a considerable amount of cash. The case of an unidentified hiker found dead on a trail in Florida baffled police. He'd gone by the trail nickname Mostly Harmless, but no one knew who he really was. His story energized Internet sleuths who started their own investigation into the John Doe. We went literally from Maine to Florida, county by county, calling and emailing every police agency, every media outlet, trying to get some attention. But the online community grew toxic with splinter groups competing with one another in a search for answers. But when the identity of Mostly Harmless was uncovered and the questions to his life on the trail were answered, some wondered whether the quest had been worth it. The great mystery is, why did no one find him? And part of it is because he did a really good job of erasing his tracks. And the sad part of it is because no one was looking for him. Because he was an asshole. The Max Originals film, They Called Him Mostly Harmless, recounts the crowdsourced haunt for the mysterious man's identity. It poses questions about whether these armchair detectives were searching for the hiker or searching for themselves. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from They Called Him Mostly Harmless. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Lara Bricker... I just explained kind of a summary of this documentary, but I feel like my summary, I don't want to say it was inaccurate, but it was certainly incomplete because this is one of those that's like about a lot of things, right? Right. When you see the preview and you see the name and you see the, the picture of this guy, you're thinking, oh, this is a story about a missing hiker. And I think maybe the title is a little off-putting in that area. I really think this is using the story of that missing hiker as a lens and like a window into the online sleuth community in the true crime world, really digging into the inner workings and dynamics of the psychology and the makeup of the people that join that community and their fights and their rivalries and their investing their entire life into working in this. And I'm just going to say I'm here for that because I think that was so fascinating because they had such 
forthcoming interview subjects in terms of being these two women, Christy and Natasha, who were really, I think, the two main people in that true crime online amateur sleuth community. We talk about that all the time, but I feel like this documentary really brought it to life in a way that we haven't seen that was both enlightening, entertaining, sad, and bonkers. Yeah. So Toby, for the sake of argument, I'm just going to call our victim, the dead guy. I'm going to call him harmless because that's what he's called for a lot of the documentary. Um, There is, for me, a real theme of outsiders in this documentary. We have harmless and there's sort of this examination of the kinds of people who go on the AT, uh, the Appalachian Trail and that type of hiker and those identities that they adopt. And then we talk to a bunch of people who do that. And then... I don't want to just say we're talking about online true crime fans or online internet sleuths. It is a very sort of specific kind of community of online true crime fan that we're looking at here. And in this documentary, it's primarily people who I don't think it's unfair to say are themselves outsiders in some way. Do you think that that's fair? Yeah, I, I think it is. They seem very sad, you know, and not in like mm-hmm. sad as empathetic, but sad as in they seem either unhappy or trying to escape unhappiness. Christy, you know, she lives in a, uh, what do they call it? Long stay yeah, motel. She's, she's unhoused. With, with her sister. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, works delivering dry cleaning. And it feels as though, you know, this is kind of an escape for her, something that she can do that, you know, gives some meaning to her days. But I think the fact that she's got so much tied up into this role means that she sort of attacks it in a way that is like a little more intense than I think what a lot of people, or at least she has more of herself like sort of pent up in this role than a lot of people do. So you can kind of see that the normal, I mean, I'm not involved in any of this stuff, but my sense is sort of the normal back and forth and like little cutting remarks and rivalries and stuff. She seems to take super, super personally in a way that I think a lot of people don't. She sent me a message and said, you should go fuck yourself. I've already heard from people that say they don't like you. I was trying, in my opinion, to keep order. I can't get the job done of what I want to do if I've got... Natasha's doing this. Blah, blah, blah. Summer's doing this. The atmosphere was hostile. That's sort of part of the tension and and the conflict in this is really her sort of being heavy handed in being the moderator of first one Internet Sleuth group and then another Internet Sleuth group after the schism. You know, hopefully we'll talk a little bit later about how effective all this stuff was. But it is... I mean, she's the main person you get a portrait of, but you also get a portrait of like her rival, this woman, Natasha, who seems to have built a life from herself, but she does reference a sort of unhappier early period of her life that she seems to finally have sort of moved away from and, and sort of credits internet sleuthing as giving her sort of the confidence to step away from a life that she wasn't that happy with. I guess I'm like you guys with sort of two minds about Christy. I think actually, you know, there's this opening scene, which I think says a lot about her. It's when she's in the van. If it gets too hot or too cold, say something. Because there's no happy medium in here. 
she seems like the kind of person like if she were a coworker, like you'd be rolling your eyes at her like all the time. She doesn't seem like a nice person when it comes to like her iron fist with the different people, you know, she in the group that she's moderating. But it's clear that this investigation, this thing is all that she has in the in the moment. This is the thing that gives her happiness and makes her feel special when she has this really marginalized existence. And so for that, you can't judge her too harshly because it's not like she's some wealthy housewife who has nothing better to do but tickety-tack on the on the laptop and make big pronouncements about what a great armchair detective she is. She's really into it, and... That's what's the most intriguing thing about this documentary. Lars, right, like the name of the documentary is they called him mostly harmless, referring to the hiker. But it's not about the hiker at all. It's about this subculture, which there is a feud among them. <laughs> there is a feud among them. It's incredible. <laughs> well, I, can we talk? I want to talk about the feud for a second because... There is something revealed here that is so hard to explain to people who don't understand it. Talking about Christy is like such a great example of this. And I feel she's very, her life is very, very sad. And I feel very sad for her because she's living on the margins. She's obviously living in poverty. And this is all she has. The only amount of power she ever achieves in her life is the ability to kick people out of a Facebook group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. or, or to think that she's made a difference in a case, which frankly, She hasn't. But we encounter, you know, we sort of brush with people like this. I mean, there are situations that have arisen in the true crime media and the true crime digital world. The most prominent one that comes to mind is the scandal around Billy Jensen, uh, where he, you know, allegedly abused and harassed and assaulted women. And what happened in the wake of that were all of these feuds and harassments in the digital community between people. People took sides. Doxing, harassing. It's still continuing today. And uh, some people came to prominence who were sort of like, this is the only opportunity they had to sort of like become somebody was to insert themselves into this scandal. And I watched it happen and I'm still watching it unfold. And it's like, this is incredible. And it's very hard to explain to people. I'm, what I'm going to tell people from now on is like, watch this documentary. It's very illuminating about how the true crime world in particular is very attractive because these people are doing it all the time. And I think that there is an opportunity here to become prominent and feel important in a way that other kinds of hobbies, interests like Apparently the knitting community is kind of like this too, from what I understand. Yeah. Apparently the knitting community Whoa. is bonkers. That's what I've heard. <laughs> but this case, it's not like in Don't Fuck With Cats, which has sort of a similar setup. Like that is like such a horrible crime. It's a crime. And so like they see themselves as crime fighters and, and you know, stuff happens yeah. there. But it's like in this case, it doesn't really start off like as a crime. Like the setup seems to be like this altruistic, like, let's find this person. So so it isn't like you're walking in going like, okay, let's check out what these, quote, citizen detectives are all about, you know. And I, I think it sort of dawns on us later is the more we watch, the more we realize sort of what is happening with them is more important mm-hmm. than what is happening with the search. Right. You know, I always do a little reading when we have these cases to see like what somebody said on Reddit. And 
And I can tell it was all of the people that were probably a part of the Facebook group and that were already following this case that hated this documentary. And they're all in there like, (laughs) this is all old information. And like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, of course, those are the people who don't like it. But I not I had not seen such a volume of feedback on a documentary in other things that we've reviewed as with this one where there was them (laughs) because it's about them and they're huge on. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting, Toby. The documentary ends up being about a digital community and, you know, Nicholas Thompson, who was the editor in chief of Wired, did an article about the hiker because he had no digital footprint. Like, it's such an interesting balance to me that like, I'm like, it's so weird that Wired did this, but it makes sense. It's like, how do you end up without a digital footprint? And this guy had one. And that's why it's a Wired story. But then the story itself becomes about a digital community. Um, can, I would let you, I'd like you to talk about that angle a little bit because you hinted at it, like the efficacy of this digital community. What do you think of it? I always think about like Becky Heath in the Bear Brook case. Very earnest, did accomplish stuff. Other digital communities don't fuck with cats, did accomplish stuff. What do you think about this digital community and their effectiveness? So they don't actually do a hell of a lot to solve it, right? I mean, I think it ends up the most sort of material thing they do to solve it is they raise money for this DNA test that allows them to focus in a certain geographical area. And that's helpful. But most of the other stuff they do is they misidentify somebody and tell him he's not who he actually <laughs> is to the point where he's, this guy's just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at this point. You know, Prove you had brain cancer. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. You know, all these like little clues they're looking for and deductions they make and, you know, how he's walking and whether, you know, my grandmother had pancreatic cancer and she walked like that and stuff. All, all these things don't really end up doing anything the most charitable kind of reading on it for it is even though all this stuff was like way way off the mark it kept this guy in the picture right so people were still talking about him and instead of just kind of going away there was some momentum even though it was completely misguided and and somewhat useless but if it hadn't been happening you know, probably nothing would have happened. Like clearly the the law enforcement guy they talked to is just kind of like, well, yeah, you know, we were going to try, but there wasn't much there. And, you know, he's got other things to do. So I think that's a success they can draw from it. You know, if, if there, if either any of these people are under the impression, like we solved it, like that doesn't seem right to me. They just kind of put stuff out there and it eventually was crowdsourced to the point where Somebody said, yeah, it's this person. Well, didn't, um, the, the very first sort of identification, wasn't that sort of driven by the crowdsourcing? The idea that, oh, this guy was this hiker. He had that cancer. We no, 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 no. In the very beginning, yeah. that this guy was this hiker and he went by mostly harmless. Right. Isn't that how, I mean, I think that's probably the first and probably only significant development, right? And, the, you know, the Well, there the was that weird uh, I mean, isn't image that, is, that they is, put is that not, Yeah, the image, but is that not how... They got to that. But then who was mostly harmless was the whole, that was the mystery. Who was mostly harmless? Right. Yeah. And the person who identified it didn't have anything to do with that. No, it was right? a guy who I had mean, run into him said, on the trail. Who's in, they said he called himself oh, It was a harmless. woman who recognized the beard. Right. Yeah. She's like, I knew right away who it was. And then you see the picture and you see the picture of the guy and you're like, 
you could connect to those two. <laughs> they seem like they they seem like two Caucasian dudes with beards, and that's about Literally all they have. Every it, looks like, world. it looks like one of the frozen scientists from season four <laughs> of True Detective. Uh, so, yeah. Except with clothes. <laughs> except with clothes. Yeah. By the way, if you're looking for clothes, you can get them at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can? Well, actually, you can. It's just part of the business section. Oh, all right. well, very smooth. Well, like for clothes, like we have like great stuff you can get at the CWO merch store. We do. Uh, we have, I was thinking about this. Everybody should get a sweatshirt that says, I learned that at cat detective school. Oh. And really, everybody should also get maybe a hoodie that says, I enjoy a feud among subcultures. Yes. Because this is what I, after listening today, I'm like, I want to get so into it. You know what I love? What? I like the merch with the CWO Pride logo. I love that. Love yeah. that a lot. And I love the uh, ugly ass crime writers on logo leggings, the red ones. They're my favorite leggings. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, go through. I mean, you can, you can link to it at our website, crimewriterson.com. But we've got all sorts of designs. And you can take those designs and put them on T-shirts and baby clothes and throw pillows and all sorts of cool stuff. So Shower curtains. Shower curtains if you want to. Oh. Yeah. Tote bags. Big tote bags, little tote bags, medium tote bags. All sorts of cool stuff. But if you do go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you get cool stuff like the Crime Writers on After Show. This week, we're going to be talking about a list that Slate published. They picked their 25 best true crime either movies or books or podcasts or whatever, and there were some notable exceptions for particular reasons. Some snubs. Some snubs. We're going to go through the list real quickly, and I know that we've consumed a lot of these things, and just kind of talk about what's on the list, what maybe shouldn't be on the list. McMillions? Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, That's a top 25 of all time. In any- yeah, Weird, I liked right? it, but okay. Uh, other great podcasts that you have uh, there include Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Also, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Uh, Toby's originally, like, his very second episode of the of the uh, Deep Dive was covering the book Killers of the Flower Moon. Rebecca Lavoie, you were on I there. Was on, I didn't like the book. Along with uh, Connie Walker and Sarah D. Bunting. Now, Toby is revisiting this, going to be doing the film and essentially do a film review with an esteemed panel. Who's coming, Toby? So we have deep dive favorite Keith Sharon. Nice. Who, uh, you know, he's actually a screenwriter. He's had movies made. Like, he's kind of. He's kind of our film go-to guy. And then uh, two debuts, uh, one by Barbara O'Brien, who's a professor at Michigan State. And then Brittany Friedman, who is a professor at University of Southern California. If you join us on Patreon at the Deep Dive level, you can actually watch Toby and his guests record that, which is going to be tonight if you're listening to this on Monday. And uh, you can participate. You can throw questions in the chat. Sometimes Toby brings you on screen if you're camera ready, or even if you aren't. Uh, And also we have uh, our podcast, Married with Podcasting, which Rebecca and I dispense advice. Uh, We have nearly 400 400 podcasts. Wow. Behind, or maybe 500. I forget. We got in the hundreds, the hundreds and hundreds of exclusive podcasts that you can get there, all at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin. Yeah. Does that end the business section? I've stopped talking, so yes, it ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Laura Bricker. 
Yes. What do you think about our CrossFit doing DNA company owners <laughs> and their um, DNA company, Othram? I mean, they're, when you talk about characters, I always have to use the word characters because they're real people. But there's a lot of characters in this documentary, like in the vernacular way, right? And these people are characters. Some real people are characters, yeah. Well, you know, I love characters. Like, I surround myself with characters in my regular You're life. You're a character. So- I'm a character, apparently. But, I, you know, that's what I loved about this documentary is that they capture the quirkiness and the personalities of all the people in a way that is so authentic. Like we have the old lady who's got no bra and like the shirt that's got like some weird logo on it. The guy who's calling like square dancing um, in like, you know, Shady Pines or whatever it is. But then we have these DNA people. Do you know what evidence we got? The skeletal remains. Yeah. Okay. Does it look awesome? Can you see the little uh, DNA thing on my hat? It's very important to me. First, they're like working out at the gym, and she's like doing like the throwing the of the ropes. ropes. <laughs> the giant yeah. ropes. And those are freaking hard. He's not working out, man. He's on the yeah, phone. She's he's too busy. Yeah. yeah. He's just hanging yeah. out. She's doing double Dutch. He's like, look at my wife doing CrossFit. I was a little surprised. I'm like, why don't they just donate the $5,000 for like publicity? But instead they're like, it's going to be $5,000 to run this DNA test. job, Laura. I know, but it was a good cause, but Rebecca. No, but it's all, everything is a good cause. It's always a good cause. Like, <laughs> that's, the whole thing, that's the problem. They didn't go into business to do good exactly. causes. Exactly. This is their job and everything. It's like identifying who is not a good cause. I'd be okay, I know. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, I thought it was really interesting that like the extra level of nuance that they had in their DNA testing that like maybe the traditional DNA testing didn't have when they were like, well, the normal testing does like blah, blah, and blah. And they're like, and ours does like, Dun, da, da. It kind of reminded me of like some of the work that was done in the um, Bear Brook murder case, Rebecca, where we're yeah. like able to identify where people were by soil that were Isotopes. like- Yeah, things like that. And so they're like, okay, now we have identified that this guy is from Louisiana. It really changes the whole course of things. But those people were fascinating, um, you know, and that was what was, I think, so unique about this entire documentary is- just the choice to really meet people where they were in their own worlds instead of just showing them in some sterile hotel room. Yeah. I just, I loved that part of this show. Same. I also love that they talked about the AT community, which is a community. I mean, there's different versions of the AT community, depending on like whom you talk to. I mean, there's, you know, the very, very athletic people who do like every year. And then there's like the sort of like community people. And we met a bunch of those, those who try it every year and they have, you know, but the trail name thing is real. The sort of nomadic life is real. I mean, Kevin, you found that part interesting, right? Because you can really relate to the AT community. Oh, (laughs) shit. Okay. um, (laughs) And actually maybe like wonder a little more about like, like what that life is is like how is mostly harmless like how is he getting about mm. right how, how is he you know eating and how does you know is he getting money someplace and new socks and how many other nomads are out there uh thousands because at first i th- i think well at least for me i'm like sus- suspecting that this guy 
guy because he's so mysterious and whatnot. He's like a hardened criminal. He's like a fugitive from justice. And he's like needs to keep a low profile and that's why he's using fake names and stuff. And we find out later, he, he's not that exactly. Like if he gets back on the grid, it's not like he's going to jail or anything like that. But the whole idea that you could essentially drop out and, you know, not die in your tent immediately you know it's like that he could live on that that way for like a long time yeah. wasn't it years yeah people live on the trail so yeah and then for some reason just go into his tent and just waste away yeah so i actually somebody i work with in my day job just quit so that she can live her dream of hiking the at and she's and her name is Olivia Burdett, the no. handsome, <laughs> wonderful line no, producer. And she flew to Georgia and she's starting like, I think like next week or something. And uh, the whole thing is like, you don't need a lot of money. You just, but, but you just leave the trail in certain places and you can walk into towns and you can resupply and then you walk back to the. Yeah, you're going through yeah, towns. It's not and like, and then, and there's thousands of people out there. You're not alone. Like there's, I don't know. Yeah. I just watched a documentary about that, I feel like. Or no, oh no, it wasn't. It was I actually just watched a silly movie with Robert Redford about how he tries to hike the trail. It was like based on a real story, but he gets like halfway uh, and stops. Just if you yeah. want people to talk to you, you wear jeans, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like skiing in jeans. I mean the thing about the AT is that the the crime rate on it is is astronomical. Yep. Really? Yes. Okay. Robberies, rapes. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's actually a kind of dangerous thing to like as a single woman in, in particular, but like people I know who have done it, they've done it at least in pairs. Yep. Because uh. yep. it's people who don't, you know, like this guy, like they're escaping from something. And they're right? living with anonymous and, names. And so, right. So a lot of a lot of people who have warrants out or, or have done things that they don't want to have to account for, it's one way of disappearing. Toby, you raise a really interesting question in this. And I, I made, you really made me think. Privacy and death. Somebody decides that they want to be unknown and they die unknown. Like, should that be the right that they have? And then they have thousands of people trying to figure out who they are. Is that like a real ethical question, you think? Yeah. I mean, I, it, it was for me the whole time. I'm like, why does Christy feel entitled to know who this person is? She's got no connection to him. He clearly does not want people to know. I mean, he's scrubbed every sign of who he is he's gone you know not unusually but he's gone by an alias for a long time he leaves no identifying information he's not a murder victim right yeah so he just you know he clearly wants to escape and just die anonymously and this whole group is saying no we're not going to let you do that and looking at that as being again sort of altruistic and again, there's no crime here, right? I mean, th there's nothing. Like, I, you know, I think law enforcement's like, well, you know, it'd be nice to know who he is, but wh what are we going to find? Like, are we going to charge somebody with something? You know, you're you're allowed to starve to death in the in the yeah, wild. You're just going to notify some family. Like, that was the mm -hmm. end game, right? Although the manner and cause of death have not been determined, but probably doesn't seem like it's foul play, but they, yeah. they can't say that. I mean, it seemed like it was a little bit similar to the Richard Simmons thing. It's like... Are you really entitled to know things about people who don't want you to know them? So again, this sort of self-righteousness and sort of surrounding getting his identity, it seemed weird. It seemed like an invasion of privacy, yeah. to be quite honest, on somebody who's got no chance of defending himself or, or what happens with his name yep. once, once it's discovered. 
Uh, I got to say, it reminds me a lot of uh, people in true crime Facebook groups and people who make bad true crime podcasts who are just submitting FOIAs to all these agencies. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, submitting FOIAs. Like, right. you don't, like, I know there's right to know laws, but you don't have a right to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Laura, quick question. So we find out that a guy who's sort of, and I'm not using the word right, ironically named himself mostly harmless in his life was not mostly harmless. He was, in fact, a, a dick who was a dick to women. Partially and harmful. Actually, when I found out like what he had done in his life, I was not surprised that he had no internet footprint because that's actually, in my experience, very typical of abusive and narcissistic people, especially like abusive men that they have like no Facebook profile, no whatever, because it's like they don't want women to be able to talk to each other about them, mm-hmm. right? So what did you think about that twist? In particular, I was very surprised by all the people who said that like... Are we even glad that we found out who he was? I mean, he was a human being. Um, right. But what did you think about that about that twist that that we sort of get revealed to us? You know, it was really sort of like a examination of like two people in a way, because you've got the mostly harmless that was super difficult to identify because basically nobody wanted to find him yeah. because he had been a jerk. But then you have this sort of perfect dead victim. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But then you have this persona out on the trail where it's almost like, I don't, you know, is he trying to, in a way, make amends for the way he behaved? Is he just on some level realizing that he can't be in regular society with people? And so he's out there because that's really what he feels like, you know, in terms of his option, because he's got this history of mental illness and he's got this past with abusive relationships. But it was really fascinating because, you know, the people that meet him on the trail have such a different version of what he was like compared to the people that knew him before the trail. So I thought that was really interesting, but in some level raises more questions to me because I'm like, how sincere was that person out on the trail? Or had he reached a point where he was like, trying to sort of make peace with who he was. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just felt like it raised a lot of sort of big philosophical questions for me when I started thinking about him. Not for me, because we didn't hear anybody about from anybody who was having romantic relationships with him on the trail. And those stories may have been very no, different. but people, he did have a relationship with the old lady there with, uh, you know, a friendship. Right, but it wasn't an intimate up- partnership. And that seems to be where he was violent. You know, it was, it was interesting to me, the contrast was less about who he was on the trail versus that when he was dead, he was an angel. And when they discovered yes. who he was, right, he was a villain. And it's like, as long as you're dead, you're perfect. Like, it's like very, right. very true crime. Well, they romanticized who he was, right. right? Right. And I wonder, right, if they knew all along his backstory, where, again, he's not a, a criminal, but he certainly, as they say, an asshole um, and has hurt people. He's probably not somebody worth romanticizing. Is he somebody worth searching for and do only certain people merit that yeah do only certain people merit that is it like only people of good character or only you know those people where it's easy to identify them it's uh it does make me want and i don't do they actually pose this or maybe just slightly talk about like how the the web community would have or likely would have treated this differently if they knew who they were actually looking for or do the kind of person they were looking for the whole time it's like the light up the room question right yeah i thought the one of the really interesting characters is the the sort of red-haired guy with the long hair who goes hiking yes. and runs into him and they they spend this this night 
like talking and, you know, God only knows what the real story behind uh, mostly harmless is. But um, this red haired guy, whose name I can't remember, feels like he makes a connection and that they have some shared upbringing commonalities. Denim, he had been there. Same place. To connect with somebody on that level was really special. It feels like he makes a friend and then there's this kind of poignant thing where he's discussing where they get to a point where the trail splits and one's going one way, one's going the other. He's like, can we stay in touch? And Harmless is like, yeah, no, we can't. And walks on. After that thing, I was like, that's the one person in this entire documentary who to me seems justified in looking for him and he's not, right? The impression you get, I think he says it pretty much straight this way is, I don't have that many friends. And the fact that he met this guy who he felt like he connected with and trying to track him down like that to me seems legitimate. It's like, I finally met this guy. I want to be friends with them. Let's see if I can find them. And so I I thought that was interesting. And I wondered how sincere that interaction was on the part of uh, mostly harmless. And then at the end, when he's like, he's in his bedroom, he's got a guitar. He's like, oh, I wrote this song about me, but it's a lot about him too. And I was oh, like, no. oh, Jesus, mm-hmm. no, don't do this, please. And he plays it, and it's pretty freaking yeah. good. Like, I'm not sure I would get an album by him, but I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, this is like legit. Like, no I'm not Alabama feeling embarrassed yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah so uh, kudos. So, Kevin, quick question. Yeah. The final scene in this documentary, Christy seems to once again have been pulled in and feels like she's a very important person in an investigation. Yeah. Who the fuck gets decapitated at the end? They've got a story. Tabitha was decapitated. Oh, God. Hey, Mrs. Young, what's going on? It's somebody whose investigation she feels like she's a very important part of. Isn't that yeah. sad? Yeah. Well, you may make it sound like this was somebody that she knew who died and is a victim. That's or- how she feels about all these people. She feels like she knows all of them. She feels like this is her whole life, Kevin. It's a crazy scene. It is. But no, but it goes to the point about like this is this is what these people have, what she has. And it's important to her because she doesn't have a lot else. Thank God I have you guys <laughs> or I could be on an online messaging board right now. <laughs> be sad when Toby gets I've, decapitated. <laughs> yeah, I've got to come up with my trail name. Oh, oh, that's we should run a contest for that. I don't, I don't think you're allowed to come up with your own trail name. I think you have to meet Someone's somebody give and it like, to genuinely yep. like denim. Like, yeah, you're an idiot. You're wearing denim. So you're going to be like wearing that name for the rest of your time on the AT. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out the Max Originals documentary? They called him Mostly Harmless. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? For they called him Mostly Harmless. Yeah, this is a big thumbs up. I had no idea what this was going to be about when I turned it on. And I loved it. I just thought it had the right combination of mystery about how someone can die, not be reported missing, that goes into that. But more just this cast of very colorful, interesting side characters who are all invested in solving this case and this examination of the online true crime sleuthing, amateur sleuthing, armchair detective community, and what that's really like being a part of that. Um, This showed that so well. 
Um, super interesting, super engaging to watch. Uh, big thumbs up from me. Toya Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for they called him mostly harmless. Yeah, this is a funny one for me because I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good, but it has all these things that it kind of brings up that I think are kind of things that we've talked about for years on this, right? Or or have been sort of themes or, or sort of in the background of stuff that we've talked about. So it seems like it's more thought provoking than maybe it is like really, really good. So I, that means it's a, it's, it's definitely a thumbs up, but yeah, you know, if I was like in a documentary discussion group or something like this would be a good one to start off with. Cause I just think like there's some other topics that we didn't even get to that we could have talked about on this, which were might maybe weren't quite as interesting, but it's all there. There's just a lot to talk about. So they, they, they hit on a story and I think they did a really good job of teasing out these different aspects of like, the true crime universe and, you know, the hiking universe. And, you know, there's even things about the life courses and, and choices for impoverished women, I guess, you know, you get, you get to see these, these journeys that a few of these women make. Uh, so I, there's just a lot there. So I, I give it a good thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I thought that this was interesting because it could have been sort of the standard, who is this guy? Let's get the DNA. This is who he is. And this is how we did it kind of story. But sort of like halfway through it, I realized this story really isn't about the hunt. It's about the hunters. And that made it a little more interesting to watch. You know, there are people in here that you have mixed feelings about. Are they doing this for the right reasons? What are they getting out of it? Are they getting more out of it than they ought to? And is that okay? Uh, you know, those. I, and I also think like they could have like more explicitly gone into that as opposed to having us, you know, find it and uh, just sort of wonder about it. So the title of this is, uh, they called him mostly harmless. That is the focus on the hiker, but so much of this that is good has nothing to do with him. Yeah. I loved this documentary. I loved it so, so much. It made me think of all the times where we reviewed something that's just like either bad or marginal. And Toby says, you know what would have made an awesome documentary would be that character over there who's just sitting in the corner doing whatever. That person would have made an awesome documentary. It should have been from their point of view. Like, that's what this is. This is like every part of this is the part of the story that's the most interesting part of this story. And there are so many angles to it. And what I love about this documentary is I know it's going to offend so many people. <laughs> Who are probably maybe <laughs> listening to this podcast right now and they might like feel like it's about them a little bit. I don't know if it necessarily is because I, I think this is a very specific kind of person. You'll know it when you see it, when you watch it. But like, I, I just think it's great. It could have been so boring and stupid, as Kevin said, and it's so interesting. And Laura, you made an observation during the review about just the style and the way they chose to do character development in it. You are spot on. I didn't think of that when I was watching it, but I think that's one of the things that really brought it to life. So yeah, huge thumbs up for me for They Called Him Mostly Harmless. I'd say, forget what you were planning to watch tonight. Watch this instead. I loved it. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. The crime of the week. Inflation has hit us all hard. We feel it at the grocery store, the gas station, and now the tooth fairy has upped her bounty on tiny incisors. 
The Wall Street Journal reports that parents are going all out when it comes to celebrating the loss of a first tooth. One girl discovered a $100 bill under her pillow. Another got a Louis Vuitton bracelet. Other gifts include video games and iPhones. The trend is most often seen on TikTok, where Uber parents go big on childhood rites of passage. It's common for extravagant gift giving on live stream birthday parties and college acceptance letters. But some question whether a visit from the Tooth Fairy is an actual milestone, more like an inch stone, as they say. And as someone who can remember feeling very lucky to find a dollar bill beneath her pillow, a box from Tiffany's might be a little over the top. So panel, if I could send you back in time to your kid's first visit from the Tooth Fairy, what might they find under their pillow when they wake up in the morning? Laura Bricker. I think the first tooth I might have done like a dollar. Mm. I mean, I was cheap <laughs> because I hear, I hear people getting crazy things now. Um, I might have even forgot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Toby Ball? If I could send you back in time to your first kid's visit from the Tooth Fairy, what might they find under their pillow? My memory's a little hazy on this, but... I remember that my son had a friend over who lost like his second tooth maybe. And so we called his parents. We're like, uh, you know, this kid lost his tooth. What do you want us to do? And they were like, oh, we we gave him a 20 <gasps> for his first one. What? I'm like, wait, I got to give him a fucking 20, which means Jake is going to see a 20 from the tooth fairy. So that means like, I'm just like doing the math in my head. I'm like, all right. I guess that's what's going wow. on. So that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What about you, Kevin Flynn? Well, see, there was that time we forgot the terror, right? If it's ever happened to you, the terror of waking up in the morning and your kid is crying because the tooth fairy didn't come. Remember and you're we like, did? Oh, well, uh, I don't know what you did for Henry, but I can tell you I did for Lily was I forget what I did. I think we're like, oh, well, sometimes the tooth fairy just does that. Look, here's a note that she left that said that she was busy. <laughs> but I got to tell you, if I could go back now. And put anything underneath the pillow for that tooth. It would be a little T-shirt that says, "I enjoy a feud among subcultures." <laughs> well, I just want to say I forgot once with Henry, and I called the school that he went to, and I went to the school and went into the principal's office and gave them an envelope with a dollar in it and the principal called him down from his class and oh said God. Henry I hear the tooth fairy forgot to visit you at home she stopped by the school and left this for you and he announced it on the loudspeaker that's right that's why you live in a tiny town it's terrible in many ways but it has some advantages alright that's gonna do it for us Laura Bricker if folks wanna reach out to you and say you're not cheap a dollar is a lot for a kid with losing teeth age how can they find you on social media at Laura Bricker on Twitter and Instagram and tell you all if folks wanna reach out to you and get adopted so they can get a 20 spot every time they lose a tooth how can they find you on social media at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to admonish you for leaving a note instead of actually leaving a note with money, how can they find you on social media? Oh my God, it was, we're just improvising. Um, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On, but I mostly encourage you to join our incredible Facebook discussion group. You can go there. You can give me shit for loving this documentary so much if you feel like it's about you if you want. Anyway, just go find Find us on Facebook, find the 
pinned post and then join the group. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the terrific Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn of Flynn's Arcade. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also take ill-advised hikes in denim jeans. Mm-hmm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. What's coming up on Thursday's podcast? I guess I wasn't paying attention. I thought you didn't introduce anybody else. <laughs> um, who would you want to introduce? My imaginary friend? No. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Hello, Kevin. Crime Media. Media.